evidence and answers. One of the favorite forms of entertainment for families today are going to the movies. Hollywood is known for both spectacular visual effects and dramatic storylines. Some have great themes, and then many don't. Whatever your opinion of going to the movies is, their stories can be used as teachable moments in sharing your faith with others. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat is providing us with a critique of the movie Silence. This movie is directed by Martin Scorsese and has been given interesting reviews. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's our host, Pat Zucran, with part one of his critique of the movie Silence. The award-winning novel Silence, written by Japanese author Shusaku Endo, has been made into a movie directed by award-winning movie producer and director Martin Scorsese and stars award-winning actors Liam Neeson and Andrew Garfield. Now, this movie is a historical fiction that provides for us a glimpse into the little-known Christian history of Japan. Few are aware that Japan has a rich Christian history that dates back over 400 years. So, the Christian history of Japan is older than even our American Christian history. A lot of people don't know that. And if you want further information on the Christian history of Japan, take a look at one of my articles on our website, evidenceandanswers.org, and it's a three-part series on the Christian history of Japan. Now, the first Christian missionary from Europe was a man named Francis Xavier, one of the greatest missionaries in Catholic Church history. And he planted churches throughout India, Southeast Asia, and his last stop was Japan. Now, Savior arrived in Japan in 1549. And when he arrived, he arrived in southern Japan, at the southern island of Japan, in a place called Kagoshima. And then he marched on up north to the southern tip of the main island of Honshu there in the prefecture of Yamaguchi. And there he began preaching, and to quickly sum it up, the Japanese embraced the message of Christ. And for half a century, Christianity flourished in Japan, so that by 1587, it is estimated that there were nearly 200,000 Christians in Japan. Well, about 40 years later, in 1597, it is estimated that approximately 300 Japanese had come to faith in Christ. So that would have been about 1.6% of the population of Japan. From the south all the way up to the north, men, women, and children, peasants, as well as lords and samurai, had embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the situation changed dramatically in 1587 under the rule of the shogun Toyotomi Hideyoshi. He grew concerned about the growing influence of Christianity and viewed it as a threat to his power because the Japanese Christians' first loyalty was to Jesus Christ and not the shogun. And then 
There were other factors involved as well, which you can read in our articles, but he viewed them as a threat to his power, and he gave an edict outlawing Christianity in Japan. In 1597, the first 26 Christians were arrested in Kyoto, marched 600 miles to Nagasaki, which was at that time the center of Christianity in Japan. Back then, Nagasaki was called the Vatican of Japan. So these 26 Christians were tortured, forced to march 600 miles in the snow, and were later crucified there in Nagasaki, on a hill in Nagasaki. They were all crucified. And there were three young boys who were crucified on that day, about 10 to 12 years old. And this is what began the Christian persecution in Japan. Now, following Hideyoshi came the reign of the Tokugawa shogunate, which lasted about 250 years. Now, it's under the Tokugawa rule that one of the fiercest Christian persecutions occurred in church history. Church historians estimate that over 300,000 to perhaps half a million Christians died during this time. Now, the Tokugawa shoguns realized that simply killing the Christians did not diminish the growth of Christianity in Japan. In the Japanese culture, there's tremendous honor in dying for your Lord. So the samurai wished to die in battle, fighting for their Lord, or if they had failed, they would die the honorable way, committing suicide or harakiri. Now the shogun eventually devised a more sinister and effective way of thwarting the spread of Christianity. Instead of quickly executing Christians, he discovered it was more effective to torture the Christians and coerce them to renounce their faith in Christ. After committing apostasy, he would then parade the apostate throughout Japan and have them persuade fellow Christians to abandon their faith. This proved to be more effective in discouraging the people from becoming Christians. Christians who apostatized were known as korobi, which means fallen. Korobi Christians or fallen Christians. Priests who apostatized were the most valuable in this endeavor. Now, there is tremendous honor in dying for your Lord, but there's tremendous shame in turning away and betraying your Lord. And this is what the shogun capitalized on in these apostates. There was tremendous shame, but it also displayed what the shogun felt, the failure of Christianity in Japan to have so many people turn away from their faith in Christ. Makoto Fujimura writes in his book, critiquing the movie Silence, he says, They realized that in their culture, the deaths of believers would not halt the growth of the church. What would discredit the church most decisively in Japan would be for their Christian leaders' failures to be on display. They realized, too, that the ultimate failure would be for leaders, especially priests, to recant their faith. The path of a martyr is noble, but the path to failure is one of betrayal and shame. So forcing Christians onto that path was the most effective way to prevent other Japanese from converting to Christianity. So to induce Christians to renounce their faith then, the shogun devised some of the most heinous forms of torture that he unleashed on the Christians. Christian men, women, and children were slowly burned at the stake, boiled in hot springs, 
thrown into frozen lakes and brutalized in various ways. Now, one of the most feared methods was known as the pit. In this technique, people were hung upside down and their head was placed in a covered pit filled with sewage. The torturers would cut a slit behind the ears or across the forehead of the victim so the blood rush would not kill the person but prolong the agony for days. And so men, women, and children were hung upside down in the pit and left to hang there for many days. And this form of torture is portrayed in the movie Silence. Now, the persecution proved to be very effective. In 1612, there were an estimated 300,000 Christians in Japan. In 1625, it is estimated there were less than half that number. And for the next 250 years, the Japanese Christians were forced to worship secretly and were known as the kakure or the hidden Christians. So this is the historical setting for the movie Silence, which takes place in 1639 during the height of the Christian persecution in Japan. Now, in the story Silence, two Jesuit priests from Portugal, Father Sebastião Rodrigues and Father Francisco Garpe, secretly enter Japan in search of their mentor, Father Cristóvão Ferreira, who is portrayed by Liam Neeson in the movie. And he is purported to have apostatized. And so his two disciples, Rodrigues and Garpe, cannot believe that. So they go in search of Ferreira and to minister to the Japanese Christians who are at this time without priests and thus without true spiritual guidance. From the start, the priests are fearful entering a hostile land where they do not know the language, the culture, or who they can trust. They make contact with a man named Kichijiro there in Macau, a man they learn who had apostatized from the faith, and they realize he's really the only one they must rely on to guide them safely into Japan and to make contact with the Christian community. The priests eventually arrive in Japan to a tiny fishing village called Tomogi, and there, they rendezvous with the Christians from the village. Now, the priests discover that the Christians live a very difficult and arduous life. The movie does an excellent job in revealing the poverty of the Christian communities who are forced to live and retreat in remote areas. And you feel the anxiety and fear that constantly looms over the Christian villages. The priests spend their days in hiding and in the evening, they come to the community and minister, and the people are very grateful for their teachings and their guidance. However, the priests are eventually discovered, and the samurai arrive at the village in search of the priests. Now, the Christians are brutally interrogated and tortured in order to discover the location of the priests. The Christians sacrifice their lives, but do not reveal the location of the priests. However, despite their efforts, the priests are eventually found and captured. And silence vividly portrays graphically the brutal torture the Japanese Christians suffered at the hand of the daimyos or the lords. There are heart-wrenching scenes that depict the way fathers, mothers, and children were inhumanely tortured before they were executed. The first martyrdom we witness are of the three men in the village who are tied to a cross placed on the edge of the ocean shore. Now, as the tide rose, their bodies were eventually immersed in the sea up to their chins. 
After days of hanging on the cross, the men eventually ceased breathing and hung lifeless on the crosses. The authorities wanted all to witness the horrific death anyone who became a Christian would eventually face. Now, in many church history books, we read of the glorious death of the Christian martyrs. However, this is not the case in the novel or the movie. Endo gives us another view of Christian martyrdom that stands in contrast to the popular portrayal. In his book Silence, Shusaku Endo wrote this, I had a long read about the martyrdom in the lives of the saints, how the souls of the martyrs had gone home to heaven, how they had been filled with glory in paradise, how the angels had blown trumpets. This was the splendid martyrdom I had often seen in my dreams. But the martyrdom of the Japanese Christians I now describe to you was no such glorious thing. What a miserable and painful business it was. And indeed, the horror of martyrdom is captured in the movie. The agonizing death of the Christians are not inspiring or glorious, but dreadful to watch. Now the priests are coerced to apostatize while in prison. Now the priests do not fear their own death, but what they cannot bear is to watch the sufferings of others. Father Garpe dies attempting to rescue Christians tossed into the ocean. Rodrigues now is the last missionary in Japan. And finally, the dreaded but sought meeting occurs. He meets his mentor, Father Ferreira, who has indeed apostatized and now goes by his Japanese name, Sawano Chuan. He is married and spends his days translating European writings for the Japanese and persuading Christians to abandon their faith in Christ. He encourages Rodrigues to save his life and his fellow believers by apostatizing. He even states in the movie that the faith of the Japanese is really not a true faith in Christ. Rodrigues refuses and expresses his heartfelt disappointment at Ferreira, and Rodrigues courageously resists, but eventually he is unable to endure the suffering of his fellow Christians hanging in the pit. Worn down by the cruelty, he eventually steps on the portrait of Jesus, renouncing his faith in Christ. Knowing the Catholic Church cannot forgive him, Rodrigues now wonders if Jesus will forgive him for what he has done. And this becomes his agonizing struggle for the rest of his life. Now, one of the main questions that is asked throughout the movie is this, where is God? How can he let his people suffer and die like this? Why does he remain silent and not answer the cries of his people? The priests Garpe and Rodriguez wrestle with that question throughout the movie, and we are drawn into that struggle. This is the question people in every age ask in the midst of suffering and when they experience evil. Each year, I lead the Japan Christian Martyrs Tour, where I take a group along the path of the martyrs of Japan. We see the sights and hear the stories where thousands of Japanese Christians were brutally tortured and executed. And at those times, even 400 years later, all of us on the tour are still asking, where was God? Why was he silent? How could he allow the violent massacre of his people in Japan? By the way, that's a tour we go on each year. And for more information on that tour, go to evidenceandanswers.org and you can see when our next tour is coming up. Now, in the final moments of the movie, 
Rodrigues, now known as the Apostate Paul, wrestles with God on this lifelong struggle. He reflects on his act of apostasy, stepping on the image of Christ. But instead of anger in the eyes of Christ, he saw eyes of understanding, grace, and love. Writing from Rodrigue's perspective, he writes this, Even now that face is looking at me with eyes of pity from the plaque rubbed by many feet. Trample, said those compassionate eyes. Trample. Your foot suffers in pain. It must suffer like all the feet that have stepped on this plaque. But the pain alone is enough. I understand your pain and your suffering. It is for that reason I am here. Then Rodrigue says, Lord, I resented your silence. And Jesus replies, I was not silent. I suffered beside you. So in that conversation Rodrigue seems to be having with Jesus, Jesus says, trample, save your life. I understand. I grant you grace and forgiveness, understanding all that you've gone through. So despite his act of apostasy, Rodrigues, in the end, seems to find forgiveness from Christ, who understands his situation and extends grace to him. He realizes Christ was not silent, but with him through his suffering and remains with him, even in his final days. And he seems to realize the love of Christ is more powerful and faithful than he has ever known. Now, this is one of the unique aspects of the novel and the movie Silence. Endo and Scorsese want us to see through the eyes of the Korobi or the apostate Christians, the fallen Christians. You see, we often applaud those who died never renouncing their faith in Christ and quickly condemn those who publicly renounce their faith in Christ. However, I believe Shusaku Endo, through his novel, tells us not so fast. Those who apostatized struggled and suffered greatly too. I believe Endo wants us to see through the eyes of Rodriguez and ask ourselves this question. Could we endure watching our wives, children, and loved ones receiving such vicious, brutal treatment for days without end? Would we remain steadfast or would we renounce Christ to save our loved ones from such an unbearable fate? Would Christ condemn us for renouncing him to save our loved ones? Or would he understand and extend grace in such a situation as the Japanese and other persecuted Christians face? I believe Endo wants us to understand the struggle of persecuted Christians and want us to understand that they wrestle with their guilt for the rest of their lives. And if God's grace is indeed greater than all my sin, as the great hymn states, should we consider extending grace to our fallen brethren as well? You know, what inspired Shusaku Endo to write from this perspective was when he saw the plaque at the Royal Tokyo Museum. When he saw the plaque, or the fumie it was called, the plaque that people were to step on to show they were not Christians, he saw that the plaque was well worn down. And he came to realize thousands of Christians ended up stepping on that plaque and then living lives, hidden lives, and then having to live a double life, secretly worshiping Christ. But he realized that a lot had stepped on that plaque. And so he wanted to write from that perspective. I believe another lesson Endo wants us to learn is that God is not silent, but remains with his people in their suffering and never abandons his people. 
Throughout church history, Christians have faced brutal persecutions. Even Christ, the Son of God, suffered the most dreadful death on the cross. Therefore, God understands the pain we experience. He grieves at the wickedness of men, and He promises to be with us. And I agree with Endo that God is with us in our suffering. However, I feel this answer alone is simply incomplete. In a Christian's suffering, often a disciple feels the presence of Christ in an even greater way. In the writings of the persecuted saints and in many interviews I have had with Christians who are suffering, many state they feel the presence of God in greater ways than they had ever known. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, through his sufferings, he says that, I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So many times in suffering, Christians identify with the sufferings of Christ and seem to sense his presence in greater ways. What I found troubling about the novel and the movie is the gloomy mood of the story. The movie emphasizes the brutal deaths of Christians, the struggles of a fallen priest, and what appears to be the demise and bleak future of Christianity in Japan. And indeed, the Christian history of Japan is sorrowful, and the movie ends in the midst of Japan's persecution. So I can understand Endo's ending. On this earth, life will not always have a happy and glorious ending. But what I find missing in Endo's story is the message of hope that is found in Christ, even in suffering. What compels Christians to surrender their life for Christ is the assured hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 states, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There is little joy indeed when focusing primarily on the affairs and outcomes in this fallen world. And if this is where the story ends, it is indeed dark and disheartening. However, through the darkness shines the hope that allowed Christ to have joy even when facing the agony of the cross. Believers can also have joy and hope if they look forward to the glory that awaits every believer in Christ. Despite the suffering believers face, it pales in comparison to the eternal glory that is to come. Persecution teaches Christians we are citizens indeed of a heavenly kingdom. Christians can endure and remain joyful even in the midst of their suffering, when focused on Christ and the glory of our true home. The end is not the cross of death, but the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of every disciple of Christ. This is important in any story of persecuted Christians. It is emphasized in the New Testament and is the story of Christ and the believer's ultimate triumph. The New Testament prophesies of the future persecution of all believers, but ends with the triumphant resurrection and return of Christ. Through Christ's victory, the Christian story ends ultimately in triumph. The end is not the death of the Christians in Japan, but the glory they receive from Christ in heaven. Their courageous commitment should be an inspiration to believers around the world and an example of what it means to live not for this world, but for the kingdom of heaven. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35 through 40 states, 
Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be of great value to you, would you please consider partnering with us? Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share this website with your family, your friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Oh, 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 oh,